0: Welcome to the NAIA Coaches Roundtable Series on the Hoops Handbook Podcast. We're here today with Delton Deal, head coach at Southwestern Assemblies of God, otherwise known as SAGU. Coach, it's a pleasure. Happy to have you on. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. Well, thanks again for being a part of this series. Y'all were having a great run at Sagu this season, number 11 in the final poll. You won the Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament and were geared up for a promising run in the NAIA Division One Tournament. You actually didn't even get to play a game, if I'm correct, due to the current COVID-19 situation and y'all season was cut short.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what happened. So we were actually would have been leaving on Monday to go up there. Um, We kind of found out about all this. I think it got canceled on, I want to say it was Thursday. Yep, Thursday afternoon, we found out it wasn't going to be played. So, yeah, it's a little disappointing, hard way for the seniors to end their careers with a conversation instead of that closure moment. But, you know, it's out of our control. We can only control what we can control. So, you know, I'm proud of my guys and what we accomplished and what we did. And, you know, they did a really good job battling adversity there towards the end of the season and finding a way to, to stay successful and to elevate
0: Right. Absolutely. And that's what we've been talking about the past couple episodes is kind of these players not having that closure because, I mean, you either win a national championship or you you go out on loss and that loss hurts. But it's almost easier than, you know, not knowing what could have been and leaving it on the table like that. I'm, I'm sure it was especially hard on those seniors.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing I don't like is, you know, usually you know when your last practice is going to be in your gym, you know, or at least, you you know, this could could be it. You know, you go into each of your last couple games thinking, man, I could be done after this, and you know what you got in front of them. And our guys, I mean, the crazy thing is we had a 9 a.m. game at the tournament, so we had practiced that morning. And so we oh, had already wow. practiced. We went, we went to lunch. Um, we had talked about it a little bit. And I was like, you know, as of now, we had the conference call in the morning, Satan, how the tournament was going to run. So I told my guys, you know, as of now, it's we're going to play. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we didn't. I don't know. We'll see. By the time I got home from lunch... 45 minutes later, and things canceled. So, um, you know, that's that. So, we got back together to, for dinner and I, you know, let them talk. But by that point, I mean, everybody knew. And I mean, that was it.
0: It was over. I mean, that was
1: it the last day. No more practice, no more anything. All, sure. you know, in a matter of hours. So not easy for the guys. Not an easy moment.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's tough for everybody involved. Um, I'd like to take a step back. We'll talk a little more in depth about your team this year and, you know, how y'all play and everything. But I'd like to kind of take a step back and talk about your journey first um, yeah. and how you ended up at Sagu and, okay. you know, coming back to the Metroplex and your coaching journey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I can just I had a weird, little bit of a weird run and how, how things happen for me. It's not necessarily the typical route most people play in college or have some connections to other things. But mine's kind of been a, a little bit of a unique journey. So I, when I was in high school, I was really close with my high school coach. I had four different coaches all four years of high school, which was tough. But uh, my senior year, uh, Michael Sons, who's the head girls coach at Oklahoma Christian Academy in Edmond right now, Uh, we are very, very tight relationship, really close. And, you know, that year I just kind of knew that's something that I wanted to do, that I wanted to coach. So, um, that relationship that I had with him, you know, was a bond that I thought was important and it's what I wanted to pass on. I felt like that's what God had called me to do. So I graduated high school, kind of, I had some opportunities to play in college and I just, I decided that I wanted to coach. So I went to ministry school for a year in Florida first because I wanted to be grounded in my faith and make sure I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. So I went to right. ministry school there for a year. Came back to the Metroplex and and Coach Sons, who I just talked about, uh, gave me a job as a I was his w- girls' assistant one year out of high school at Bethesda Christian School in Fort Worth. It's a small cool. private school. Did that for a year and then I became the the men's assistant the next year. And the head coach got fired mid-season. And so I became the head coach in the middle of the season. I was 21, I believe, or I just turned 21, very young. And I took over a team, a high school team as a head coach. So I was kind of thrown in the fire. My, actually, my little brother was my point guard. So that was kind of cool. But I was a oh, wow. you know, super young coach looking back on it. I had no idea what I was doing at all, all energy. You know, when you're young, you're just so energetic and you've got all the best ideas and everything's going right. to work. And, you know, we had a pretty decent year in my first year. And then the second year I was there. Um, Neil Dohertys son transferred into our school which he was TCU's head coach at the time and he transferred in he's pretty good so uh, we ended up winning state that next year so I'm um, 22 I think and we won state and a uh, great start to my career have another great year the next year and like it does in high school sometimes every single everybody graduates and um, we're not very talented the next year and uh, I think we went seven and something seven and 20 or something like that and it was uh, the only losing season I've had as a coach but um, ended up going Ended up going uh, after that year. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. A buddy of mine who coached in the same district as me asked me to go to Nebraska with him to York College to be his assistant for very, very little money. And I had two right. young kids and a wife. And I'm young and, you know, I'm already married and all of a sudden, I'm like 24 at the time. Um, And I was like, Nebraska. Nope, not going to Nebraska. Never heard of it. Never (laughs) been there. Cornfields. Nope, not happening. So I'm a city boy, you know, born in the Metroplex, stayed around here. I was like, nah. So um, God is funny. And um, my wife has a good job at the hospital at the time. And we say no. And like literally two days later, she gets laid off and a year severance pay and we're like okay maybe god's trying to tell us to do something so leap of faith go out there to york make a long story short i was assistant for one year that guy uh, the guy I went up there with ends up not staying gets a, a job in a little bit different area which kind of worked for him and i got the head coaching job there so right away again once again One year assistant coach in college. I've been a head coach for four years in high school, but very young, naive, all this stuff. I got all the ideas and I take over at York College, who had been a very, very struggling program for a while um, hadn't had very many winning seasons and we take over and yeah, so I was at York for eight seasons. Did, you know, we went from, I think the, the first year I got there, they had come off three consecutive three wins or less seasons, I think. And we won 10 wow. when I was an assistant. And then we never had an under 500 record from that point on three consecutive, I think 500 records. And then we made the first national tournament, um, had another couple years of rebuild and then made, uh, the tournament, uh, two other times right before I left. So, I think three of the last four years I was there, we made the national tournament and did well. And that leads me to, you know, here, I was at a point where I really liked it at, uh, York. I mean, I'd built the program from pretty much scratch. So it was mine, it was my baby. You know, I got, you know, I had put a lot into it, but I also felt like I had done a lot there already, you know, and we had kind of got to a point where you know, we made the elite eight and the sweet 16, my last two years that we were there. Wow. So, um, You know, I was like, okay, we're doing really well. I graduated uh, All-American. You know, it's going to be it was going to be a little tough. But, you know, I was kind of looking around like, what do I want to do? And God kind of said, don't you trust me? And I kind of just took a deep breath and I was like, you know what? this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm good. All right. Let's just, let's just settle in Lord. Use me. I'm going to just make this as best I can. And we're just, if, if this is where I'm supposed to be forever, then it is what it is. And you know, mm-hmm. I, the people there are amazing. So I settled down and it's like, no joke that week, like this probably happened on a Monday, I would say Thursday, coach Boswick, actually, who's at, who was at Sagu had told our AD here, coach Godding that he was leave, uh, leaving on Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I get a call from uh, some of my buddies at Dallas Baptist, who I'm really good friends with, the coaches there. And they call me and they say, hey, I heard Sagu's job just opened. You know, you should look into it. Um, you're you're a G, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I am, actually. And they're like, oh, man, this is your job. You got to try it. So I just shoot an email. I, well, not even that serious, because, you know, I, like I said, I just settled into This is what's going to be. So I shoot Coach, right. Coach, Coach Cotting an email and I'm like, hey, man, you know, I might be interested in the job. I mean, you work Nebraska, blah, blah, blah. And he he texts me like 10 seconds after I email him. And he's like, you're never going to believe this, but I'm in the car right now. And I'm on my way to York, Nebraska. And I said, no, well, you got to remember York, Nebraska has 8,000 people. So nobody ever goes there on purpose. So, yeah. so I'm like, no way. And he's like, no, I'm like, seriously, I'm in the car. My wife is from York or McCool Junction, which is pretty much the same town. And she's, he's like, my wife is from there and I'm in the car. I'm going to be there tonight. And I was like, I was like, this is crazy. So, you know, I'm like, okay. So we yeah. get up, we end up meeting at like 6am the next morning for breakfast um, at this place called Chances Are there. And we and we sit there and have breakfast. And I was actually leaving that day to come to Dallas for vacation. And, you know, we hit it off. I think it went really well. I think it was a god breathed appointment. And, you know, by by Tuesday I, or by Wednesday, I think I had the job. So I went on campus when I came back and got the job that quick. So definitely an open door by God. And, you know, just I try to let him lead where I'm supposed to go. And, you know, I've been here and I love it here. And he's really blessed our work here. and We've been doing pretty well.
0: That's awesome. Absolutely. It's really interesting to hear, just like Coach Boswick, you know, Mm -hmm. when things are happening, you might not really notice, but then you take a step back and look, you see, wow, God really did, you know, orchestrate that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty special, man. Can you speak on career paths in college basketball? Because I know you had an interesting one and, you know, a lot of coaches may not realize there's so many different ways, you know, to get to the top or to be a head coach and everyone's journey can be different.
1: Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing whenever you're young, especially, is trying to have a clear sense of what it is you want to do and knowing and getting real information on each level and what works for you because yeah. every you know it, it's definitely different everywhere you are like you could be a career assistant in division one and and love it and that be your that be what you're called to do and be great at it and love it or i mean for me i had a family i got married when i was really young i had kids when i was really young i worked in a private school you know i'm um, very faith-centered in what i'm doing and you know i've had a heart for being in private schools to, at least up to this point in my life you know and so i so for me it made more sense for me instead of trying to latch on or become an assistant somewhere or just try to climb the ladder as fast as i can i kind of I like the slow life and getting to spend time with my family and to probably make a little less money than I could if I do other things. But you know, this is what's worked for me. It's what I feel like I'm supposed to do in this environment to to work with kids here and to be able to uh, be the father that I want to be and things like that. So um, sure. if you if you want to really climb the ladder, then, you know, obviously I think getting in as a GA or something like that's important or, or making as many connections as you can. Make sure you're going to events, make yourself present, recruit really hard, uh, get to know all the coaches. So you have so many connections to get you in because it is a who you know business. It's just the nature of college basketball. But, you know, like I said, I, I really think it's important to know what it is. Is you want and where you want to go and what's important to you what level would actually work for you do you even want to be a head coach i know a lot of people that don't want to be a head coach
0: and they're right, great
1: coaches yep. And it just doesn't work for them. It's like they, like they like being the guy behind the scene. You know, I have an assistant right now who's phenomenal, and uh, he's, he does a, a wonderful job. He's a, a super hard worker, but he doesn't really have a desire to do that right now. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be in charge. He just likes being an assistant. He, that's what he wants to do. He, he likes the grind. He likes being the guy that the players come to and, you know, do all that. And we'll see how his uh, progression changes. But right. that's a calling that you have to be open to, and you have to be willing to, you know, listen to what it is you is right for you. So you could be successful.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's a great insight. Thank you, coach. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on into NAIA basketball, more specifically, you know, oftentimes it doesn't get the same exposure or attention than some other divisions or NCAA in particular. Sometimes, can you kind of speak to the competition level and, you know, the value of NAIA ball? Yeah. NAI,
1: I mean, it, it's a great brand of basketball. So it's, um, I think the biggest thing is it's just unknown. I think a lot of people don't even know who you are every single time We have somebody, a recruit or a parent or um, just we've had some random people just walk in our gym and didn't know we were here come in and watch a game. And they leave the game like, man, like you guys really have you got you got some players like, you know, we're pretty athletic and I think we're pretty fun to watch. And you're in here watching the game and I think they're surprised by it. So, you know, it's it's really just unknown. And the crazy thing about NAI is you can get kids from I mean, it's kind of like the road less traveled kid. You know, you got you got like a whole lot of different journeys in NAI. I think the stories behind the players. Are some of the coolest things that you'll ever find if you ever sat down and really look through every team's best players or even just ask a coach you got some stories on your team NAI coach are gonna have some crazy stories for you about their kids oh, I bet. and you know it's great competition it's good it's good players every you know it, it changes a little bit with each level what the ball looks like you know where we probably have less uh really big bigs and kind of more almost like wings that can play the big you know in nai yep. a little bit more you still have some mm-hmm. of them but you know that changes a little bit, but the guard plays really high level. And if you look at the success rate of any high players that go overseas, they usually do really well because you know you get a chance to be an alpha and play, you know, do really well and you end up having good pro careers. But you know, I just I I, I like the storylines behind it. I like, you know, where we're getting our kids. The, our best player this year who won conference player of the year, you know, I found in a church league. He grew five or six inches after high school, wasn't even playing, uh, wasn't a, a great high school player. Nobody was recruiting him. And all of a sudden now he's probably I mean, he's a top five player in the country, I'd say. So and so it's kind That's of cool. Awesome. you see those things. We, and we've got multiple stories like that. But you see those things and. It's pretty cool when you get a chance to pour into kids' lives.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's dive a little more into the coaching side, and, and we'll okay. start off the court. But we hear this word culture surrounding college basketball a lot. It's kind of a buzzword. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts. You know, What kind of culture or even standards, as our first coach of the NAA Roundtable, Alex Ireland, said, what kind mm-hmm. of culture do you all try to develop at SAGU?
1: Yeah, so we uh, we are a faith based institution first, it's the center of everything we do. Um, we have chapel almost every day of the week, curfew here for our students, things like little things like that that other schools don't have to go. So for us, my, our thing is we say C3. So we say your character plus your competency equals consistency. So that mm-hmm. means your character off the floor, how you handle yourself. And that's more than just, and it's being Christ-centered. It's, do you put the Lord first in your life? Are you open to it? Are you listening to your spiritual side of yourself? And then beyond that, even, do you look people in the eyes when you talk to people? Do you shake hands firmly? Are you respectful? Can you go in any environment and and thrive? Or do you just like it your way or what you grew up in or all that thing? We're trying to stretch everybody to be a well-rounded person off the floor, because I feel like your character off the floor and how you handle your business off the floor um, with your teachers, with your family, um, if you have a girlfriend, if you, you know, your your teammates, how you handle yourself with that, plus your competency level, which is obviously you have to be skilled to be a great basketball player. So those two things together, when you have both of those is when you really equal, really get to a consistent level of success, you know, and that's not just basketball success, but just being, being a successful man, a successful human, or being successful in your role, or being a great player, or being, you know, a businessman, or a coach later on, or whatever it is you want to do. I feel like both things have to align. So with our team, um, you know, we spend a lot of time on that kind of thing and how you handle yourself and grow in their whole selves and making them think this year, we uh, focused a lot. There's a book called the coffee bean by John Gordon. I don't know if you've read it, but pretty good book. Our, our, our team kind of went through that this year. And that was pretty much the story of the carrot, the egg and the coffee bean. You put an egg in, in hot water and it hardens you put a carrot in hot water and it softens but you put a coffee bean in hot water and it spreads to everything around and it t- transforms the water into what the coffee w- what into itself right it leaves an imprint of itself on everything so right. you know we've been w- we've been working a lot on um what are you doing to impact your community and impact others around here and how are you being involved in the school do you ever go sit down and just sit with some random people on campus or go say hi to somebody outside of our bubble do you ever go to the other sporting events or to You know, uh, drama production. You know, we have a TV studio on campus. Did you ever go do anything with the fine arts people or things like that? You know, is there anything you do to leave an impression on everybody else? And I feel like whenever we get to the point where we're really selfless and we're really looking outside of ourselves and we're not worried as much about our stats or our minutes or those things, um, that's when you see real success. And I think that's part of the reason we were good this year, is um, my seniors, especially are just, they're phenomenal people at just being what they are, whether they played a lot, whether they played a little, they were the best kids in the room always. And so, yep. and I think that's because they were trying to impact everybody around them. They bought into that C3 mentality. And so if you can build a culture like that, I know, like you said, culture is a buzzword, but if you build that and you and you live it at that standard and you have everybody being selfless on your team, your team just accomplishes so much more, regardless of talent or ability or all that, because everybody's playing hard for each other. And for sure. you're going to see real success.
0: Yeah. How does that kind of branch off into, you know, your recruiting? And as a coach for Sagu, what are you looking for? What kind of player on the court and off the court are you all looking for?
1: Yeah, uh, we you know we like to play fast, so um, we obviously like guys that can move a little bit and, and shooting is a plus. But uh, you know we like we like versatile guys that can do multiple things. I like for my I mean my bigs are pretty much big wings this year that can catch the ball and shoot the three and dribble a little bit and do all that where we're top to bottom being able to move around and do multiple things and play them all over the court basketball wise. But you know like I said being a sagu that it takes a certain type of person to be a a great player here at sagu because the thing is you have to be here you have to want to be here you have to be two feet in here and uh last year we were extremely talented Uh, maybe even more talented than i don't know we were very talented last year but we had a few guys that were just a little bit in and out and you know just up and down emotionally didn't want to be here sometimes complained about little things did things like that and so we made a few changes even to some good players and just decided to you know, revamp that. So when we recruit, you know, it's, it's a vet process and you can't really know everybody as well as you can in one conversation, but I ask specific Mm -hmm. questions, you know, do you have a relationship with the Lord? What do you, how do do you, how do you, how do you portray him? You know, and that's awkward for people sometimes and nobody wants to get that in depth in a recruiting conversation, but you know, I want to know how are you going to respond to it? If you respond to it, you know, if you can respond to it and have that conversation with me now, then I know you're going to be fine. And then obviously asking coaches, How are they off the floor? Do they play hard? And the biggest thing for us, recruiting is motor. So if your motor runs high, then we'll love you. I mean, recruiting wise, I mean, that's a, that's, you know, you don't always take everybody with a high motor, but the more high motor kids you have, the better chance you have to win.
0: Absolutely. From an X's and O's perspective, I I like asking this question because coaches have different answers, but how do you feel about recruiting players for your system as opposed to, you know, building that system around the talent that you can get and what's the balance in that?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I've run, I've ran, ran a lot of the same stuff for the majority of my career, I'd say. I So I would say that you probably do recruit to what it is you like a little bit more. You have a standard of, of this is, these are the ways that we like to play. These are the type of players that usually work for us. But as a coach, you have to be malleable is what I'd say. Like you have to be able to, you have to be able to adjust. So I got a great instance for you uh, this year. Uh, Nick Mason you know 25 points a game one of the best players in the country he's playing for us and he's doing everything and we're running things a little bit differently because we have him and Ken Williams our other big it's just dominant in the pay and so most of our stuff was just straight post up uh, both of them are you know we're and our guards are playing off them well Nick tears his ACL towards the end of the year and um, we had to completely adjust and so the funny thing is the the Thursday before our conference tournament we completely changed our entire offense and <laughs> we ran Whoa. some plays we had never ran, I promise that weekend. And we just looked like a different team and it fit who we had though it was better it fit what we had we had our guys move differently and they just shared it and it spread them out and i had to adjust a little bit and the willingness to do that was a little difficult took a bunch of conversations and you know trying to be like man i hope this works and we're not doing something dumb but you know we played our best maybe our best two games of the year so i'd say recruiting i mean you have to know what you like you have to know what works if you recruit players that don't do what you want to do or what you coach well I think that I think that's an important thing too. Is you have to know what you coach well. You have to know what it is your strengths are and what you can get out of people. And if you start trying to take somebody who has a flaw in an area that you don't elevate very well, you know, a lot of times that can feed into your team more than you elevating them. And you can work on that on yourself, but you want to make sure you recruit kids that fit what it is you can teach, so you can get the most out of them, and so you can uh, help them reach their full potential.
0: Right. And like you said, I mean, having. Having guys that want to be there and are willing to buy in makes a big Mm -hmm. difference for that too. Because when you need to make changes, you got guys that are willing to, you know, listen and sacrifice for the team for what's for the betterment. Yeah,
1: and I'd say in NAI, that's probably one of the biggest uh, biggest points in all of NAI is, you know, you can have as much talent as you want, but if you have guys that think they're above it, that don't want to be here, who got their eye one foot out the door, or don't really, then you're just the teams don't usually end up being cohesive. Are working as well, where you have a team, of full of guys who just love it. Uh, that's one thing in the Midwest. When I was at York, um, those teams in the Midwest, up there in Nebraska and Indiana, and those NAI Division II schools, um, those schools, man, those kids grow up wanting to play for that school, and you can yeah. feel it when you when you play them, you can feel it. I mean, you just, they're just, I mean, they're all about it. The fans are crazy. They're engaged into it because they just love it, and so they're give, they're pouring their everything into it, and those teams are hard to beat because of it. So I think that, I mean, it matters in in our level, especially as getting kids that want to be there, that see it as a privilege and as an opportunity to pour themselves into it.
0: Absolutely. And that's interesting that you say that kind of about the Midwest area and you know some other regions in the nation. Sometimes there's not maybe those D2 programs or some different situations. So if, if they're not at that D1 level, they might make that move to a different level, but it's still a very high competition level because of that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's great players at all the levels, for sure.
0: And y'all have had some great seasons at Sagu and you've had them elsewhere how do you sustain success you know year to year and keep that consistent winning
1: yeah i think i mean for me it's relationships so for me, it's it's um, making sure my guys know what I that I care for them, that I'm um you know doing the best I can for them, and that that I love them, and that you know we're trying to do a bigger thing than just play basketball. And you know the culture that we've set are the the standard, I guess, either whatever word you want to use that we've set here. You know is this is the way it's gonna be. You know this is this is how we want things to run. We have a thing up in the locker room that said that says believe or at the top of my uh, preseason packet that says believe or leave. And pretty much it's just like this, like believe in who you are, believe in what we. We are believing what we want to do. And if this isn't for you and you feel it, I'd rather you just, you know, don't be here. You know what it is? Yep. You know, like, like this is who we are and, and we're not, we're unashamed about it. Like, like we're going to proclaim Jesus in every turn that we do. And I'm we're unashamed about it. So like, if you're getting tired of hearing about it every day, that's not going to change. So, you know, this is something you're going to have to be able to sit in and, and be respectful of and listen and hope that it changes your life. And so yeah. if you do those things, and I think you're consistent with your message every day, that the consistency thing kind of takes care of itself. Because your players start to believe it, and your players start to preach it, and they've seen it work, and so now as new players come in, you know, internal leadership is really important. You have them like, no, this is the standard. This is who we are. Like, this is what it is. You can say what you want, and you can be how it wants. And you know, I've had to, I've had to release a few kids in my career, and it's never been a time that it hasn't made us better. Whenever I've had to do it, and purposefully, you know, like. This kid isn't doesn't want to buy into what we do and he's dragging people down. If you don't want to be here and you have to go, then, you know, that's that's just part of what it is. And and you know, we want the kids that want to be here so they can buy in so we can keep this thing running the way we want. And then I think you see consistent success every year. And, you know, I feel I feel like the Lord rewards your work. What I tell my guys is this you know this is one thing as a as a Christian I know we're going to talk about this later but you know people get caught up on Jesus is going to help you win every game or do this stuff and I don't I don't know if that's true you know I think that God loves people on every team that you play but I did yeah. what I tell my guys is the Lord the Lord will bless you to help you be the best version of yourself if you allow him to and if you let him be the and if he let him uh, elevate you to be the best version of yourself then what we are when we're the best version of ourselves is going to be enough to win games and so that's what it is that we're trying to get to is just to to be confident in him and to be uh, consistent in, in our walk with him.
0: Absolutely. Those are wise words. More specifically on a day-to-day basis, you know, what kind of habits do you all try to create as a program and, and build into your players to develop that consistency and winning mentality?
1: Yeah, I, we try to develop some um, self ownership of what it is they're doing. So that means everything doesn't have to be extremely hands-on with me or my assistant coaches making them do things a certain way all the time. You know, like we, we want to set up we want to set like parameters like, OK, we want you to get these things done within a week. Um, we're going to give this to you, but it's your responsibility to make it happen. And so I think that and you hold them accountable for what they do. But I think whenever you give the players a little bit ownership of it, bring bringing it to the gym. So, for instance, my my assistant coach has times that he's always available to work out our guys. Um, we kind of put it on them to go out of their comfort shell, uh, comfort zone to come to him to set up their times with him. Right. Yeah. So we're not always going to go run them down or go get them out of their uh, doors. Which That works for people, too. And everybody's different. But, you know, you got to do what works for you. So for us, we've always been like we want to make them have to have a little ownership. So then if they come to the gym and they know they did out their own, we're saying you have these times come pick the time that's yours and you pick it and you step out. Now they're consistently choosing to do it. So when they walk into the gym, they have a sense of ownership when they walk in there instead of being feel like you're dragging them out of it. If they're somebody that doesn't yeah. want to do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So so if you continue to uh, instill those things in them where they can take some self-ownership of it, where they can take some self-ownership of these uh, responsibilities that you're giving them, then that becomes a little bit more about themselves. And, and we want to help them be men anyway. You're only at, they're only with us for a couple of years, you know. So by the time they leave, we want them to have some ownership of themselves so that whenever they leave, if they do want to go play overseas, it's not hard to become a self-motivated basketball player or if you want to become successful to be a self-motivated success story so you can actually be with it and work hard.
0: Absolutely. And I know that makes all the difference over there because it's a whole new world and it's a whole new level where you have your own accountability. So instilling that in your players in college makes a big difference, I'm sure. Yeah. And Um, especially
1: in the NAI where we have limited resources and not as many coaches and you know, in Division right. One, you'll have six or seven coaches and everybody's got somebody that they lean on. But for us, you know, we, we need those kids to be able to step outside themselves and, and function in this environment.
0: Mm, that's really cool. And y'all y'all have had a lot of success. But I mean, losing is inevitable and every team deals with it. How do y'all battle adversity and how do you as a coach, you know, instill that maybe if you're having locker room problems or you, you're losing, how do you pick it back up and get back on track?
1: Yeah, well, I don't I don't know that there's a there's a 100% set way to go about it. I think everything's a little bit different and fluid. I do sure. think that the more the more real you are all the time, the easier those moments are. Um, I think that if you are the, some, some people just have a tendency to change whenever things go bad or when things go good. So I've, I've made it a real, and this is something I learned pretty early in my career, but I've tried really, really hard. If you ask the guys that work for me, I think I do a decent job of this. At least I try, but you know, I try to be consistent all the time. So I I don't really, I, I don't really get my highs too high or my lows too low. I try to be the same in the middle and I've really worked on especially these last couple seasons. I've really asked the Lord to give me peace throughout knowing that I put in the work and that we did this. And so what I'm telling t- trying to tell my team is, you know, we put in our work, but the other teams put in their work. If there's things that we haven't done right that we need to fix, we're going to fix them. But you cannot live and die with every single second, every single thing that happened with every result. It's more about the process and how you go about it. So whenever something bad happens, if you're focused on the process and you're focused on Um, how you went about your business, then the loss necessarily doesn't devastate you. What it does is it makes you lock back into your process and say, okay, well, where did I do something wrong? And what is it that we can improve to make sure that this doesn't happen again? But if you're just worried about what happens at the end of the game, you know, we say it all the time. You can play a uh, thirty nine. I mean, if you play a 40 minute game and somebody picks the ball up at half court, closes their eyes and throws a hook shot and it goes in and you lose. Or if they pick that same ball up and throw that prayer and miss it, the feeling can be so much different. You know, like, like if it goes in, you feel like you just failed. If it didn't go in, then you feel like, oh, man, we did great. We played great. And and the reality is you played the exact same game in both games. You played the same. So if you focus on your processes and how you're going about it and what are you doing in your daily life and how are you going about your process every day? And maybe is there something that we did wrong in our process that got us to this result? You know, then it's easier to cope with because, you know, it's something you could fix instead of looking at this result and thinking you did everything perfectly right and we blew it. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think you hit the yeah. nail on the head there. Developing that yeah. consistency and you yeah. know staying poised through those situations. Yeah. Let's dive into X's and O's a little more for you as a coach and for your program. What is the staple of Sagu basketball? When coaches and fans and teams look at you, what do you want them to see or think?
1: The biggest thing is just our motors and how hard we play. So that's for sure. Number one is if we play with, you know, if your work is at a high level and you play hard at all the time, then I think you can find a way to overcome uh, deficiencies. Um, I'd say, you know, we want to be the best defensive team we can. Um, Defense definitely comes first. Now we have scored a lot of points over my years here. I think we've been top five or 10 in the nation and scoring every year that I've been here, but most of that comes off of our defensive, our defense. So The way we defend that we've been – we were number one in the nation steals the last two years. I think this year we were a little bit lower because we changed a little bit towards the end of the year. But I think Mm -hmm. we're fifth or something like that. But we've been really high in steals without pressing, without – I mean, we very situationally press only. We don't trap really. It's just straight man and playing really hard and getting in you and trying to uh, force some pressure into you to where you're having to make decisions. And we're opportunistic with – Uh, When we're jumping passes or being active with our hands or getting rebounds and getting out on the break, but letting our defense start what it is that we want to do. And being consistently keeping you on one side of the floor, and not letting you change, uh, turn corners and things like that. And when we do yep. that, then obviously the game becomes fun because if you defend at a high level offense, just I mean, your offense comes. You don't even have to run a whole lot of things because you end up getting offense off of uh, how you play defense and getting people to buy into that really makes us who we are.
0: Sure. If you don't mind me asking, what is the style of play offensively that that you all inhabit at Sagu?
1: Yeah, we, we, we've run um, a couple different things. You know, we run a uh, we have a secondary break that we get the ball to court because our our biggest thing is makes or misses. We're going to get the ball out quick and we're going to get on you and force you to play defense early in the clock. We get you there. We, you know, we want everybody to touch it. So pretty big on moving the ball side to side doesn't always look that way. But that's that's, you know, that's yeah. the goal <laughs> is to have the thing go side to side. But we don't have a problem with early offense as long as everybody's crashing. What I tell my guys is if a shot goes up and I see everybody's effort and we're all in there on the glass, then, you know, I can get away with you. You know, I'm OK with you taking some shots that maybe other people see as questionable if we're um creating second chance opportunities and things like that out of it and getting our possessions up to where we have so many possessions in a game that we can wear somebody down towards the end of it. But you know, we we do three or four different continuity things that we run. I'm not really we don't run a ton of quick hitters, mainly I'm um, a little bit of reason for that. There's been teams that I've had that we ran a whole bunch of them. Um, my last few years here hasn't really been uh, super successful for us to run them. we end up doing something wrong or something like that. So my guys right. uh, tend to do better if I just give them basic structure. So we had three major motion offenses that we ran this year and we kind of interchanged between them until the last couple of games where we kind of switched it up and went more to a four-out one in um, just because of our personnel. But uh, we run a little bit of Stephen F. Austin's old spread stuff and some um, – of that gonzaga continuity offense and uh, continuity ball screen yep, a little bit of that and and we ran that the most this year we had never ran that before that was a new thing this year we tried and uh we liked it it was it worked pretty well for us so cool uh, mixed it up though yeah
0: yeah that's interesting that you say that i think that's kind of something that's developing more in college basketball and it differs between every coach and every program but we touched on that the past couple episodes is kind of giving your players the opportunity to make reads and Instead of running a lot of quick hitters where it's a little more robotic, kind of teaching them the way to play so that, you know, you can put that ownership in their hands to make the right decisions, make the right plays when, you know, something changes. And like you said, and Coach Ireland said, you know, being malleable, um, I think that makes a big difference for your team. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a bit. And like, it's the same thing we talked about giving them self-ownership as I want them to play as free as possible on the court. So if we have freedom and you can see it and we teach you in this situation, you can do this, then they're making decisions on the fly and they're taking ownership of what it is they're doing instead of feeling like looking at me every two seconds and saying, did I run the wrong way or anything
0: like that? Give them
1: some freedom. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And that definitely makes a difference when you got teammates that, you know, you're relying on and they trust you. You don't want to take that bad shot and let your teammate down and You're working together that we all want to get the best shot. So I'm sure that develops a winning style as well. Exactly. Um, What's your scouting and game planning look like as a coaching staff? And, you know, are y'all heavy film watchers or heavy on scout team? Do y'all put a lot into player development more than scout team in season? Or what does that look like for y'all?
1: So, I mean, we have pretty in-depth scouting reports. I mean, my guys are going to know exactly what everybody's going to do. I probably get a little bit less into the structure of what they're doing than maybe some of the coaches who spend a lot of time on that. Um, Mm -hmm. We kind of give them basic ideas of where the concepts are that they run, that people run. Um, Like you said, that's how the game's kind of changing, too. It's a lot less – quick hitter plays or or we're going to go exactly here, things like that. So we try to talk about um, a few main things every um, usually the day or two before the game. We'll focus on a few main major actions that they run or or little things that they do. And we'll try to make sure that we're up to date on that. And then we spend a lot of time on personnel for them. Um, We make sure that everybody knows who they would be guarding, who their matchups could be, exactly what they can do, um, what each strength for each player is and trying to, uh how we want to defend each one individually so that um throughout the court we'll do things different so we'll switch some ball to ball screens we'll go underneath some screens we'll um, ice some screens all just based on who has the ball so and our guys pretty much have a pretty in-depth idea of our scout and exactly who does what and if you five minutes before our game our guys could probably tell you pretty much everything everybody does on the other team for the most part they should be able to so they usually can
0: cool Specifically for you as a coach, and I, I know a lot of coaches that follow, you know, Hoop's handbook are interested to know, how do you learn as a coach and how do you grow individually? You know, because coaches are always growing. If if you think you're done knowing everything, you, you probably don't know anything at all. So how do you learn and grow as a coach, whether that be clinics or, or Twitter? I mean, there's a lot of great resources nowadays. Yeah, I,
1: I mean, I'm open to anything. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, like a sponge. I'm trying to learn everything every day. I know I don't know very much. So, um, you know, I've been I've been blessed to, to do as well as I have with this little knowledge as I have. That's how I feel. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. um, the, big, the biggest thing is, uh, I think the community that you keep and, uh, and, you know, always trying to meet new guys and pick their brains. I mean, I have a bunch of I mean, I have so many coaching friends that I just will ask a question to. What do you do whenever you see things like this? I mean, I've been on I've had 100 calls with, you know, a whole bunch of coaches since the season and just talking to them about how they're dealing with this and and how we would go about it. And what are they doing and trying to find some things to to help ease this transition? From some of our guys, and uh, just trying to grow every year, never be never be uh, settled that your way is the best way and the only way. I learned a long time ago that each coach is different, and each coach needs to be true to who they are. So just because you do something one way doesn't mean I have to do it that way to be successful. But I do need to pick and choose and see, you know, what people are doing and find out what works for me. So when I was sure. when I first got into college, I think my entire if you watch my games at York, my first four years at York, I think we did something completely different all four years. So I'm yeah. like you know, at first I'm a gung home coming from high school and we're trying all kinds of crazy stuff and that's not working because kids in college are just too good for the stuff we were doing. <laughs> so then, yeah. so then the next year I'm like, well, you know, at the time Bellevue was, was kicking our butt all the time. So I'm watching them and I'm like, well, they just play pack line. That's all I'm gonna do is play pack line, but pack line, to, I mean, <laughs> just straight pack line doesn't work for me. I don't even know how to teach. I don't think I even know how to teach that. Right. So I'm out here trying to do yeah. it. Don't really know how to do it. Right. Cause it's not, it's not who I am. And eventually I came up with some hybrid stuff of things that work for me, just taken from here, taken from there learning from the coaches that i see and that i respect and seeing you know if somebody's respectful synergy is an awesome tool for us coaches who have it um synergy is pretty cool because we have access to everybody every film in the country pretty much so you know i'll go watch all the teams that i see that are successful say what are they doing and what works for them and watch and be like oh i love that or man that really works for them but that's not for me you know and trying to make sure you learn and pick and choose to develop your own mind and figure it out what it is that's going to make you as good as you can be
0: yeah. And that's interesting that you say that. We had Jordan Sperber on the podcast. He, mm-hmm. He's big on Twitter. And, you know, he says basketball is a copycat sport. It is. Or, or I'm sorry, coaching is a copycat industry. And I, I think that's OK. That's a great thing. And that's something that, you know, coaches can embrace. And personally, I think there's so many resources. And ideally, I'd like for this to be one that coaches can come yeah. to and learn themselves. Moving in, lastly, before I let you go, I'd like to talk about faith and basketball and how, Mm -hmm. you know, they come together. And I know that's been something big for you in your life and for your programs. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. You know, basketball can teach you so many lessons and there's so many things you can get out of it. And this is this is that's a pretty cliche thing to say. You know, every, there's life lessons in everything you do. And and in this basketball game and winning and losing and camaraderie and all these things, you know, it's all going to feed into your life. But, you know, if you allow the Lord to work in you with throughout this game, you know, the the lessons you learn from the game mixed with actually letting your spiritual side grow in the midst of it all. I think that your emotional highs and lows that you feel in this, having a strong spiritual foundation and actually finding some answers for yourself throughout this time as you're a player or as you're a coach Um, If you can handle it through the highs and lows of a basketball season, there's not a whole lot in life that's going to throw you that you're, that you're going to be set aside from because, you know, the Lord, the Lord equips us to handle things that are in front of us. He's never going to let us uh, have anything beyond what we can, what we can bear. So if set your foundation on him, if you really listen to what uh, really open yourself up to what he can do through you and how you can see situations, you know, it's amazing how much, how much your eyes open and how anxiety, you know, I'd say in this, especially in this sport, Man, coaching, everybody sees the glamour side of coaching. Everybody sees the fun of it. Everybody sees the wins. You know, everybody sees all, all that stuff and thinks, man, that would be the best job ever. But, man, this is a, the, one of the most emotionally draining professions that there is from a day-to-day basis, from a wins and loss basis, from a sure. feeling you're inadequate basis. If you lose a couple games, you know, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm a failure. You know, just from little things that aren't a big deal that you can't even control all the time. And, and, and yeah. your emotions are all over the place. So it's really important to just find that that foundation of who you are and who you are in him and seeing yourself through him and talking about you know, what your identity is and who your identity is in Christ. So that's what we've been working mm-hmm. with our players. We've really spent so much time on that this year of just who you are is enough. Who you are is good enough. If you have a bad game, it's you are still good enough and you you are who he's made you to be. And the Lord wants you, you know, loves you for who you are and stop letting your your you know self-worth or value be based on whether you made a shot or defended somebody well or won a game. But just yep. be grounded in that. And then that brings that freedom that we talk about. You know, you want our players to have freedom of our mind when they play. Well, you want that freedom of your mind in every day of your life so you can walk around with this joy of being the best version of yourself. So the Lord will do that for you. And, you know, that's, I I mean, he's the basis of everything I do and he's just blessed my life tremendously. So, you know, I want to try to share it as much as I can to everybody I can.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. And on that note, you talked about anxiety and Coach Boswick touched on this yesterday, if you don't mind sharing your thoughts, but the coaching industry has one of the highest divorce rates. And it's actually really interesting how, you know, that this occurs. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, how You know, being grounded in Christ and rooted in Christ can kind of make a difference in that area and the value of, you know, keeping your family a high Mm -hmm. priority within the coaching industry.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, like I said, if your identity is in him and you know who you are, then those emotional swings lessen. And the biggest thing with coaching is when you go home, if you just had a really hard moment, you know, I mean, which we all have, and you have that moment, you walk in the door. I mean, the last thing you want is to be barking at your kids or, or put it put it off to your wife. When in reality, you're mad because an 18 year old kid just dribbled a ball off his foot, and you're at right. home and you're yeah. and you're acting mad to your you're acting mad at your wife like she did anything to do with that. She's done nothing but been taking care of your kids or doing whatever. You're at home, and you walk in the door, and the first thing you do is angry. So, you know, for me, I mean, what Jesus does for you is just gives you that peace of mind that regardless of the result, regardless of it all, you know, you are who you are. And so like, if you can, if you can walk in that, then when the game ends, and I've got much better at this, as time comes, and maybe this was true of everyone, the more you coach, but when the game ends, you know, I can literally, even after a loss, I can sit in the gym and talk to everybody for hours and not let it affect me. And I'll have my moments, you know, I won't sleep sometimes, or you'll have things running through your mind. But as far as my interaction with my family or interaction with my people, you know, with the people around me that I care about, you know, I think that God gives me grace and gives me peace to be able to get through those situations and handle my assistant coaches and my players and their parents and my and my family the right way so that, um, you know, it's a positive experience regardless of the results because at the end of the day, man, our season ended two weeks ago. Everybody's restarted already. Everybody's recruiting again. I mean, all that stuff that you were losing sleep over two months ago, most people don't even remember at all. So it is what it is. And, you know, at the end of the day, we make it bigger in our minds than it is. But, yeah, that's it.
0: Absolutely. One last question before I let you go. I, mean, I ask every coach this, and I'm interested to hear your answer. What is one piece of advice you'd give a coach running a program or an up-and-coming coach climbing the ladder or even just an ops guy, a trainer, a player in the game of basketball? What's one piece of advice you can give? The
1: biggest one I would probably say, this is the thing I tell all my young guys that want to go into coaching, is be true to yourself. Make sure you find out what works for you and don't try to be me. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to be that person. You have to be who you are. God's made us all to work a certain way and do things a certain way. And you can take things from everybody that you learn, but you don't have to be that person. So just you know, be open to learning, but also be open to saying no or be open to saying that's not for me or to be open to, to have your own thoughts in your own mind. But as a young coach growing up, just stay true to that. If you stay true to who you are, then in the end, in the long run, you're going to be successful and always be a hard worker. Don't be the one that just hope things fall in their laps. Be the one that makes it happen by being a doer.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, coach. We really appreciate you coming on. And I mean, you've given us a lot of knowledge and I hope every coach and every player and every person in the game of basketball listening takes a lot from this. Thanks for having me, man. Yes, sir. It was a pleasure.